You are listening to Prickly and Blooming, brought to you by LaJoy Society. And now, your hostess, Jessie Browning. All right, all right, all right. I have Sterry with me now. Hi, Sterry. Hey, it's so good to see you and hear you. As I said that, did you hear the airplane go over? I hear that airplane. <laughs> yes, yes. So I've, I traded uh, planes for trains, or... Yes, tra- tra- well, you know what I mean. <laughs> trains, yeah, trains for planes. That's it. Yeah, tra- yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, we don't hear a train every day, but now we hear airplanes every day. So mm-hmm. if, I, I'm just gonna start talking about it. if you hear an airplane, it's I, it's reality. I live near an airport. It's like right there. I can see it. They're making their final descent. Mm-hmm. It's fine. I think it adds to the um, atmosphere. Yeah, the atmosphere exactly it's to the uh, public radio kind of feel to it. <laughs> <laughs> it's real radio made by real yes, people. People who, who really are at home in the corner of their room and the airplanes are going over. That's um, right. Well, we won't hear the train at your house. You're far. I'm You're a little far. far. Like, we can still hear it if we were outside, but uh, not so much if we're inside. Okay. I, I like to just be up front with you. I know Sterry personally. I've known Sterry, 50, no, yeah, 15 years or so, which that blows my mind um daniel and i moved to a small town named marfa texas which you've heard me talk about and stary lived there with her husband and her son who was he was probably five at the time right i think so he's 20 now so how old yeah. is gray almost 14 mm-hmm. yeah and you were pregnant so yeah mm-hmm. like 15 ish mm-hmm. years five ish yeah four mm-hmm. something like that yeah Something like that. I specifically asked Terry to record an episode with me because I think she has um, an interesting career path, and I wanted her to talk about that. And I think we'll have to start though a little bit back of you know where where you came from. You know where where did you start your life? Um, oh, and I, oh, of course I asked people, are you from Texas? I am. I was born in San Marcos. Oh, I didn't know that. See, look, I'm going to learn stuff about a friend right now. I already did earlier. Now, second thing, I didn't know you were born in... All right, tell us. Start there. You were born in San Marcos. <laughs> so my dad is um, is from New York City. Oh, see, I didn't know that either. Here we go. Yeah, <laughs> and um, my mom's from Oklahoma. And when they got together, they were in Florida, and then they moved up to, to New York, and uh, my father finished his schooling. And he got a job right out of uh, graduate school, he got a job teaching political science at Southwest Texas State Teachers College, wow. which is now Texas State University in San Marcos. And so they moved there, and they actually he taught there, and we actually lived on a little rented farm in a town of about 110 people called Staples. Oh, wow. Wow. It's kind of like the Valentine of Central Texas. Okay. And so um, he taught school, and there was a woman who was dean of students, I think, there, or provost of the school, and she thought my parents were darling and kind of took them under her wing. Her name was Elizabeth Sterry, and oh, everyone, okay. she was very Southern, and um, everyone called her Miss Sterry. So mm-hmm. she died just not, not long before I was born, and so my parents figured Sterry would be a boy's name or a girl's name. And so that's how I got that name. And the, there's a Sterry Hall that's a dormitory at Southwest Texas. So when I was a child, I would make my parents drive by so I could at least for once, for once, see, see my name somewhere. Because, you know, the little license plates that go on your you bike? You never got those. I didn't get those. Like, no. like the little keychains that you get yeah. at Six Flags? Uh-uh. uh-huh. Oh, my gosh. I think I have one. <laughs> Ta-da, everyone, I found one right oh, next to my yeah. <laughs> my kids mm-hmm. will buy them for me because none of their names are ever at those gas station things. Sure. None of them because I named Yep, yeah, but my name is Jessica Her all the time. Is. Lucky yeah. Duck. Oh yeah, my name all the time. So I just realized as you were saying that um earlier before we hit record, Stary and I were talking about I have a kid and um, she's she reminds me of if I had to you know correlate Sterry to one of my children it's Bixby and Bixby's name origin is very similar to yours I knew somebody named Jennifer Bixby mm-hmm. and she went by the name Bixby this was like 
25 years ago in Massachusetts. And we picked that. We picked it as just, it could be a boy name for sure, but we picked it as a girl name when I was pregnant with that baby. Because remember, we never found out uh-huh. whether they were boys or girls. Um, and I just realized that. And I was like, oh, and they, they sound similar. I didn't know that was your origin. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the same as Bixby. Like, yeah. Anyway. We are star-crossed Virgos. No, seriously, totally star-crossed Virgos. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So you didn't grow up in San Marcos, though, did you? I didn't. So when I was um, when I was young, uh, like before kindergarten, we my dad got a different job, and also decided to go to law school. At the same time, so he uh, he taught up in Fort Worth and Arlington at Wesleyan at UTA, and was going to law school. And we were living in Fort Worth, so Fort Worth is primarily where I grew up. And then toward the end of upper school, um, I, we lived in Weatherford, which was then a little tiny town all of its own, but now it's kind of being, you know, now it's a bedroom community, but a Fort Worth yes. engulfed. And then I went to college in Oregon, which was great in a lot of ways, um, but I really missed trees. I, I didn't miss trees. I'm sorry. There were just too many trees up in Oregon. Trees. I, I, missed, <laughs> I missed seeing the sky touch the ground, which... Yep. Um, the trees were beautiful, but I just felt hemmed in all the time by the... The lack of landscape, let's say, mm-hmm. you know. There's something that um, my cousins were from Colorado, and they have the same kind of vistas and landscapes out in Colorado. And they would go to Massachusetts and freak out and say, I can't see the sky, Mommy. I can't see the sky because mm-hmm. of, like, the trees coming over the roads. Yeah, and I acknowledge it's, it's absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I just, I felt truly itchy and restless and like I, I just, I just wanted to come back to a place that, that looked right. So my heart could feel right. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So after college, I lived in Austin for about a year and a half and um, I had a great job at the Dispute Resolution Center, helping people figure out their barking dog neighbors figuring out their barking dog issues and for the city people, um it's it was its own nonprofit entity so okay. but it was a cool job and i i liked it a lot and uh but i still i still walked around feeling like there was something i was missing and something um there was something else i was supposed to be doing and somewhere else i was supposed to be doing it mm-hmm. what did you get your degree in English. English. Yeah. And I was a thoroughly poor student. <laughs> just like, <laughs> like in, in up through, up until through high school, I was a pretty good student at college. I just um, really kind of flailed around a lot. But, mm-hmm. you know, the after landing that pretty good job in Austin uh, and feeling still kind of untethered, mm-hmm. I um, my parents invited me to go on a trip with them to um, Thanksgiving in Fort Davis. So I rode the train out and met them here, and they said, oh, while we're here, there's this like really weird museum we think that you'd like in Marfa. Let's go see it. And my mother had called on Thanksgiving Day and somehow conjured someone to to let us see the, the place, and that was the Shinati Foundation. And so uh, Michael Roach, was, who's now my husband, was the tour guide. And so we were down in Judd's concrete pieces, which are outdoors, and the day it was spitting snow, and it was terribly cold and gray and perfect. So I remember thinking that there was everything, everything you needed was here. At that time in Marfa, there were like two little Mexican cafes there were a couple little bars, little old man bars. There was like a feed store, a courthouse, a public library, a school, city hall. There was a gro- one grocery. Um, there was one Texaco station that was also a butcher shop. Oh, wow. um, there was a post office. There was everything you, you absolutely needed and no excess and an art mm-hmm. museum. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, that really um, that spoke to me. And I turned to my parents in the snow, like in the in the field with the jet pieces, and I said, "So I think, 
I think I'm going to move here. And they went, oh, that's a great idea. (laughs) (laughs) It didn't make any, it didn't make zero intellectual sense. At that time, like Marfa was something like 48% or Presidio County was something like 48% below the poverty line. There were Mm -hmm. no jobs. Yeah. There was nothing, nothing at all was happening here. Except, you know, Judd was doing his thing, but that was on a fairly, you know, in terms of tourism and so forth, that was on a minuscule scale. And nothing like it is now. There was nothing, uh, there was nothing to do, nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. And it was absolutely the right decision, the best best decision I ever made in my whole life. Mm-hmm. And so I moved. And what was your plan? I, <laughs> like, I mean, I I know, like, again, I know that there was nothing and whatever, but I'm sure you right. had an idea. Like, you had an idea. Like, m- my plan is we were 27-year-old newlyweds coming to open a laundromat. You know, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> we well, had was, some sort of that plan. That was a good plan. So I was, I think I turned 26 I just turned 26 when I moved, and um, I had some money saved, and what I told people was that I was going to write a novel, that I was a writer, and I was going to write a novel. Back then, there were about 2,000 people here, and anyone who was new really, really stuck out, so much so that they would just, they were curious, because why on earth would you move here? And so they would stop me and ask me, like, in the grocery store, in the library, or whatever. They would say, who are you, and what are you doing here? And so I would say, my name is Terry, and I'm going to write a novel. And people just, you know, went, oh, okay. It sounded grand, but I got almost nothing done on any sort of novel. But I read the newspaper that came out every Thursday. Back then, the whole town kind of took a break at 10 o'clock every day on the weekdays, and then there would be a siren that sounded at noon to let everyone know, oh, it's time to go to lunch. And every every place except for, like, the post office and the cafes themselves would actually close for lunch, the lunch hour. And uh, you went home and, and read the paper. And so I got to know the town from reading the paper, and there was this thing going on. They'd had a, a, a columnist who was writing under a pseudonym called Wadley Red, which is was supposed to be kind of a joke on being widely read. And uh, that guy um, it wrote something that that minorly aggravated me. So I one lunch one day at the lunch hour, I wrote up a letter to the editor, and I walked across the street because I lived across the street from the newspaper downtown, and I handed off my I handed off my letter to the editor and the uh, Robert Rosario Halpern who owned the newspaper, the Big Ben Sentinel, they said, thank you so much. And when I walked back across the street, I could hear my phone ringing. And I thought, who the hell is calling me? Because I have no friend. Like, I, I'm alone here. And it was the Halperns. And they said, do you want a job? From there, I, um, I started working at the Big Ben Sentinel and putting out the, the newspaper in Marfa and also the newspaper in Presidio. And I worked with them um, for a total of about 15 years. There were a couple of periods where, like, you know, I went to graduate school, and at one point I had a fellowship to Stanford, and we lived in California, so for a year. And what did you stay at grad school? My husband um, wanted to get a, a master's in studio art, and so it was a good time for me to also go to school. Um, and I just went for English, so I have a master's in English. English now. I was a much better student this time. If I went back to school, I would be like, ding, like pretty obnoxious, I think. <laughs> me too. That's how I was. Yes, yes, yes. The complete opposite of what I was, you know, with an undergrad. And Michael was there because of the art correct? I mean, you said he was getting a studio art. So that's yeah, so he went to, um, he got a free ride at TCU in their studio art master's program, and we cool. somehow scored this great house that was just like one block from school, and I hopped in the truck every day, and I drove to Denton, and I went to the University of North Texas. Oh, when was this? Before, Yeah, before it we... It was 90, 96 to 98, oh, cool. and so after school, we moved back to Marfa. Marfa was always the the home. We knew Mm -hmm. we were going back there. Mm -hmm. Right. It was just, let's go do this. Mm -hmm. Back then, there was not, like, master's degrees online. (laughs) No. Yes. 
there were there was not the internet. <laughs> yeah, there was <laughs> not least, exactly, or at least not in the form that it takes now. No, no, there was maybe correspondence. I remember when I was in my homeschool collective when I was in high school, there was a there was a gentleman who was doing like correspondence with Goddard College, like that was like, on, if you will, online, but that was. That was it. Yeah, there wasn't. You had to actually go. Oh, the days when you actually had to go to school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you remember what, you probably don't, because it, it, but it's just like a detail I'd love if you remember what the letter to the editor was about. So this, this columnist they had, Wadley read, mm-hmm. uh, his identity was, a, was unknown. Okay. And he, um, he I think, was kind of aiming toward the sort of, um, very keen political humor and analysis that Molly Ivins offered mm-hmm. in her columns. You know, she was just so whip smart and she had a beat on everything and she just really was, um, she was a great writer and a great journalist. So I think Wadley Reb was kind of aiming for that. He ended up saying something um, about uh, people who were. Uh, the way I remembered is that people who are like minimum wage workers uh, not being, uh, you know, suited or inclined toward intellectual pursuits. Mm. And I figured, I had figured out that the real person behind Wadley Red was, in fact, the mayor who had just switched political parties so he could run for county judge. So I just thought that that was a pretty rude thing to say. And so I wove that into my letter to the editor without outing who it was. But um, the guy, everybody figured it out. And uh, he, I think the column kind of ended. And he became a good friend of mine. So. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So tell, tell me, because there was something special about that newspaper or is something Mm -hmm. special about that newspaper will you tell us about it a little bit it's owned by a it was at the time it's changed ownership just um in the last couple years but it was owned for 30 years by a couple named robert and rosario halpern she's from presidio texas he from alpine texas she's hispanic he's jewish and it was just it it was kind of a magical place because Robert had been schooled in journalism and had worked for like the Odessa American and the El Paso Times and both of them having grown up in the Big Bend uh, really had a great understanding of community and what's important and it's through that job that I learned to become a grown up more or less the, the most banal things would take on such huge importance. Like, for instance, the, the care that was taken in obituaries was extreme and very touching To because Rosario would read whatever the funeral home might have sent in, and she would read through it and realize, like, oh, well, they didn't get, they didn't know about, you know, the the this former sister-in-law who was great friends. We need the, her name in here. And do you spell that with an I or with a Y? And Stary, go find that out. And and so we would track down these tiny details that made all the difference, but nobody, no one ever knew. Mm-hmm. You know, no one knew the extent to which we went to get things right. And it made all the difference. People didn't need to know. Like, we just needed to know that it was it was right. And... The same was true in um, the reporting that we did, whether it was about like junior high girls basketball or um, a city council meeting about whether they're going to turn off the streetlights or um, like we would tackle really big stuff too, like uh, water legislation coming out of Austin that that uh, may have real significant lasting impact for us. All of it was taken with such deliberation and seriousness and effort. Yes. It's, it was really a, a beautiful way to exist in the world, you know, to, to be of service mm-hmm. like that, because that's how all three of us really looked at it, was as a form of service. Was it, it was just the three of you for a while? Along for many stretches, it would just be the three of us. Plus, um, you know, there might be someone. Uh, Rosetio's sister worked the front desk for some years. You know, there would be people who would come through, and maybe they'd work a few months or a couple of years 
Um, there were people who did distribution or drove the paper uh, from its press where it got uh, where it went to press in Pecos and brought it back to this area um, every Wednesday night. So there were other assorted people, but really there were usually the backbone was really the three of us for most of that 15 years. And it's a, an award-winning newspaper. Like, that's what I remember. Like, yeah. very serious. Like, just to, the, you know, to further speak to, like, the seriousness with which, like, this was not, like, I hate to use this, like, kind of stereotype of small-town newspaper just kind of reporting on a, um, you know, who won the apple baking contest or whatever. We're not in that realm. This is, like, it's not that you But didn't, we would go there. Yes. It's <laughs> not that you wouldn't do that. Like you said, it's not like you wouldn't talk about the, the junior high fundraising activity or something. You would go there, but it was done in such a honoring way of these um, human beings and the story that they were trying to tell, you know. Anyway, oh, I started talking about the awards. This was, that's what I, um, I remember seeing on the newspaper, like literally on the newspaper, it said in the bottom corner, correct? Uh, yeah, it said it on the front. There was a little, a little doohickey that was always on the front page somewhere, that said, "Award-winning, you know, 1999 or whatever." Yeah. What added to this recipe of beauty was the Halpern's willingness to entertain almost anything <laughs> in the pages of that paper. And yes. so, it, like, yes, we would tackle like the really heavy issues about, say, you know, a a proposed trade route that would bring 18,000 trucks annually through our area that we did not want. They would also uh, let us write about every year. I worked it either in as a solo story or worked it into another story, the arrival of turkey vultures in the spring, um, which the arrival of turkey vultures migrate. They leave in somewhere around November. When they return in late February or March, it's a harbinger of spring, and so every year we would report the first sighting of the first turkey vulture, so spring is coming. And it's just such a sweet, small thing. Or the time our friend Mae Quick, who was then in her 80s, was a very skilled player of Scrabble, and she had been in the hospital, and and uh, Michael used to play her in Scrabble, and he lost, he lost, he lost, he, he never won. He finally won a game, and that got in the paper, that Michael Roach, at long last, had beat May Quick in Scrabble. And, you know, it's it's those things people remember. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm thinking of things that I remember that you wrote. I, I remember... Um... <laughs> Oh, uh, there was the play on Jim Mustard and lettuce <laughs> and garlic. <laughs> Rusty Garlic was on, uh, I think. The, the city council. city council yeah. and the city administrator was Jim Mustard and you put some sort of lettuce. Bean banana there. headlines. We, yeah, we, yeah. And we would work together about like, hey, what if we did this to make a punning headline? Or there was the, the week that... Um, oh, I know what you're going to say. For the queen. <laughs> yep. So the actor... <laughs> The actor Randy Quaid and his wife, Evie Quaid, yep. lived for, you think it, it was, was nine months? I was about to say year? almost a year. Mm -hmm. It was almost a year. Mm -hmm. They lived in Marfa, and they lived in a building right downtown, mm -hmm. and they had a variety of shenanigans, issues, yeah. shenanigans, <laughs> fights among people near and far, Yep, and so... It, and they, I think that they were going to get extradited to California. Yep. There was right? a hotel bill. Uh, yeah, in California. Some, yeah, yeah. And so they were arrested in Presidio County, and uh, we we devoted the entire front page of the Big Ben Sentinel. We made it into a tabloid that one week. And so the whole front of the paper looked just like the National Enquirer, and every single story on the front page was about the Quades and, you know, Evie Quaid tells all, mostly. And, you know, it was, it was ridiculous. And then you turned, you know, you, you opened up the paper and the regular front page was on page three. But, it, it, you know... It was legendary. It was legendary. Yeah. And we would say, like, hey, what if we put out a sh an issue with comics? We put out a, a comics issue. And Robert would say, sounds great. And so he would just let... Really, he, he let creativity sore and if a story about some mundane city council or school board issue if if you thought it needed 2000 words well go write 2000 words like he never said like and make this one short or 
you know, cap this at, you know, a thousand words or whatever. It just, if you felt like it needed explaining, you know, go do that. And so what freedom, like, where can you do that? Especially, um, you know, in a small town in the middle of nowhere, when at that point for many years, this was really before the internet, we were the only source of, of news for this county at all. This is before public radio, mm-hmm. before the internet. And um, and I'm going to remind everyone listening, this is once a week it's published. Like it's it was Thursday. called Paper Day. Yeah, Paper Day. It was like <laughs> a big day, you know, like there was, it would, it would be the equivalent. I'm trying to like, what's the, it's hard to give an equivalency now, you know, in this time and age and digitalness and, you know, like it, it, it didn't, it had so much weight to it. It really did. Yeah, and every, in Marfa, Mm -hmm. we don't have home delivery of our mail. Mm -hmm. So everyone has to go to the post office to get their mail. And often people go like, you know, every other day, maybe not every day, Mm -hmm. but everybody goes on Thursday Thursday. because that's when the paper is in their box. And so from, you know, 8 a.m. until probably about noon, there's a very steady flow at the post office because people are picking up their big bins sentinel. So at the time that I um, came into this world would definitely be the beginning of the end of, of local newspapers, if you will, you know, and th- you did not get that sense at all about our small town newspaper. Our small town newspaper was thriving in a time where nationally newspapers were tanking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Closing, tanking, mm-hmm. getting smaller. <laughs> Ours had, um, you know, like there were many, many weeks where, the um, the debates going on on the letters to the editor page took up two whole pages yeah. because people were so invested in what we were writing about and what we were doing in this place in which we live and how much we mean to each other. There would be debates on those pages that went on for months yeah. sometimes. And, oh, by the way, we also wrote about art. And, oh, we also wrote about ranching and agriculture. And we wrote a lot about children and 4-H. That's and and the schools, and we just wrote about everything that mattered because everything matters. Well, and then um, I just, I, our son was getting older, mm-hmm. and, uh, and Michael uh, had switched jobs, and so um, it just, it kind of got to a point where I just, again, started to have that niggling feeling like, I think I need to be doing something else. Through, uh, just for my own journey, I had no, there was no, uh, content, you know, I did not have a contentious relationship yeah. with the paper. In fact, it's quite the opposite. And so I, I left in, um, I think it was 2011, okay. October of 2011. A friend um, who worked at Texas Monthly, didn't he work for the newspaper, too? He did. Jake, yeah. <laughs> so our friend Jake Silverstein, he had, when he was a pup mm-hmm. right out of mm-hmm. Wesleyan, he had just graduated college, he worked at the paper for about eight months um, in the way back, and it was we just had a super time. It was wonderful. The story that he remembers the fondest during that time was when a friend of ours named Elizabeth McBride chained herself to a tree at the courthouse. Um, because the courthouse was going to be renovated and the um, renovators had decided that some of these trees needed to go. So she she was a little dumpling of a lady and she chained herself to an ash tree and he sat out there with her and reported on the, the conversations between her and the deputy sheriff who would say like things like, Elizabeth, you don't want to do this. And she would be, you know, she was a crying mess. And she was like, I have to, we have to save the trees. And he, it's like, I don't want to have to do this. So, you know, he had done that sort of reporting when he was at the Big Ben Sentinel. He went on to become eventually the editor in chief of Texas Monthly. And at some point in there, he said, why don't you, he said, I'd really love to hear what you have to say about horses and why you love horses, what what your story is with horses. And so I wrote that, and it had to do with horses. It had to do with a friend of ours named Tyge Lancaster, whom Jesse knew. And that got such a response at the magazine uh, that Jake, very shortly after that, made me a writer at large for the magazine, and uh, and I've been with them ever since. 
mostly writing a column called Country Notes that has to do with um, living rurally mm -hmm. or being kind of the voice of small town living mm -hmm. at the magazine. And, um, and that's not all that I do but um, for them, but it's, it's mostly what I do for them. I love it. I, the one that sticks out the most to me is the full diagram. I feel like it was even a full, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like you description and diagram above the waves. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Waving was, it was introduced to me when I moved to Marfa of how important it was. And I remember Brenda Garcia said to me when I first, first got there, she was like, what do you drive? I'll wave at you. And I was like, huh? You know, I drove a silver Volvo, which was this is very much an outsider car. You were easy to wave at. Yes, yes, because I was stood out. I was in a white Ford, you know, truck. Um, and that's how I got introduced. It's like, uh, you know, if I know you, I'm waving at you. And it became such a big thing. And um, it, it, it just took me back reading your description of the one finger with the two finger. The <laughs> it was wonderful. Right. And then there's the mistaken wave where you think you see your friend and you're, it's very exuberant. It's and an, you're like, oh, no. Oh, I, that was an out-of-towner. No, yeah. Yeah, I don't know you after yeah. all. Like, you just had the same hair color. Yeah. You, you both drive a Subaru. Yeah. It, there's just such, you're bringing the magic, you know, that was, I feel like, cultivated from the time at the Big Ben Sentinel into, you know, this larger audience. And I just absolutely adore it. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It's been, it's a... They are also pretty good about letting me write about things mm -hmm. that may be somewhat unexpected, like, mm -hmm. you know, when I wrote about, for instance, waving, mm -hmm. they may have thought initially, like, what is, is there really 2,000 words? Well, how much can you say about waving? Well, it turns out you can say really a whole a hell of a lot. lot. Yes. And, you know, it's very, waving's really important here because it's that gossamer it's like this invisible gossamer thread from me to you across mm -hmm. the grocery store or mm -hmm. across the intersection. Like, hey, I see you. I note that you're there. Mm -hmm. And what comes back is, I see you. I note that you're there. You're there. Uh -huh. And it's a thing of beauty. And so what I end up writing about mostly, what I realized, is at the center of all of the, the stories that I do is some aspect of noticing beauty. But they... Um, you know, they. I write. I wrote about snakes, for instance. They resisted me writing about snakes for some months, <laughs> and my editor at the time said, "What is there to write about snakes?" And so I ended up writing this, you know, column about snakes. And uh, there's a sign, for instance, on a Marfa ruin. It's an adobe house that's completely fallen in on itself, and uh, people have spray painted. The owners have spray painted on the exterior of the building snakes keep out and it's it's unclear it's unclear if they're telling the snakes to keep out or or you know they're trying to get people to stay out because of snakes, snakes. and you know they allow me a lot of leeway as well you bring such a poignant beautiful eye to it like that that snakes keep out is just a perfect example of like you see the magic in that and like the giggles that it gets and like, <laughs> i knew what else to do the snakes keep out it's just like the like oh um, slow children ahead, like, oh, that one's a ter that terrible traffic sign, you know? Right, or the one on the Marfa Cemetery that says, uh, enter at your own risk. Risk, yes. <laughs> that one too. <laughs> oh, I've just always appreciated seeing the world how you see it, and you always have brought just the simplest beauty, just like you said, perspective to seeing things and writing about things, and and I just, I just think you're a gem and a treasure. Oh, thank you, <laughs> thank you so much. Well, the whole town is made up of, you know, people like you who, who, um, who care and commit and like, um, have have just thrown their lot in with each other and like it's, um, it's something to recognize and something to, to, see and value. Mm -hmm. Totally, totally. I know you, you did get an English degree and you got an English, you know. Um, secondary degree, if you will. Um, did you ever think, though, that this is where it would take you? No. Yeah, right. <laughs> no. <laughs> Just checking. Getting nice. an English degree is basically, um, it's it's basically getting a degree in reading. I yeah. can read really well. Yes. <laughs> I, I read fast. I read comprehensively. I read really well. And it's, I mean, I went to English because I didn't know what the fuck else to do. do. Right. Like, when I was a child, I was kind of a, 
Um, I, I just did not. I remember my fourth grade teacher pulling me outside the classroom and saying, you know, you've really got to learn to be like the other children. You are like, you're different. Oh you're my. weird. Mm-hmm. You need to learn to conform. And I had no, I was, I just remember staring at him like, well, <laughs> first what of all, it was kind of news to me, but I mean, I, but I did, I was sort of different. I was kind of a weirdo and, um, and I never did really fit in. And so I read, I read, and then I read some more. I read under the sheets with a flashlight. I read it all, all the way through summer camp. I re- you know, I just read. And so when I got to college, might as well do what's worked before right. this. Mm-hmm. And so um, I read then, and, and only after, I think it's by absorbing at least some of those words and some of those different ways of observing the world um, it finally, after all those years, it, it some of that had really taken hold in my soul so that when I came into this original writing job at the Big Ben Sentinel, it felt natural. I think, um, I bet if I asked Robert, um, when you brought your letter to the editor, he could identify that you had your writing voice already. Yeah, I think that that's part of what they saw. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember being it really kind of thrilling that uh, the very first story he sent me out on, uh, it was a kind of a complicated story about um, Mexican electric plants uh, or Mexican coal burning plants that uh, made electricity and the coal burning plants were sending up great plumes of pollution that because of the prevailing winds went right over the big bend and really um, darkened our skies for a while and I remember turning that into him and thinking like oh it's going to get you know edited and changed and moved around and stuff and he looked up at me and he went pristine my dear and that was it (laughs) and I thought like oh all right (laughs) and it was really um you know it was a a great uh, boost to my confidence and I just Mm -hmm. thought like it was a big validation to as you said my writing voice and and so from then on, I just, not not to say, like, every word I wrote was golden. Right. Or that but. everything absolutely worked, because that's not true. But that early confirmation of of how I saw things and the, and the accuracy and care I put to it was, you know, really meaningful and has lasted from many years. Yeah, you, right then, you knew what he said verbatim. I love that. I love that he started out from that of, like, you're capable. Uh-huh. I love him. He's a special person. They both are. They both are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they both are. Well, is there anything else you want to share with us? I mean, I feel like I just am so happy to have spent this time with you and get, like, it's fun to interview. I've interviewed another friend, you know, a couple of weeks ago. This is so fun. Um, I wrote down all these things I learned about you. <laughs> 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 and I remember you st- I, we used to have, um, when my oldest kid, Gray, was, was a baby, we used to go over to Michael and Stary's house and have uh, Stary Friday drinks on uh, Wednesday nights. On Wednesday nights, Wednesday nights. yeah. Stary Fridays. We, we put the paper to bed on Wednesdays, and so mm-hmm. that was like the big woohoo night. And it that was really a tradition for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like people would just come over and we just hang out with babies or little kids yep. and dogs and guitars yeah. and if you needed your um what's the wednesday the hump day if you needed a mm-hmm. hump day you jump to get to kick in the pants in the middle yes. of the week yeah yep. yeah do you have anything else you want to share with us if i have a fun questions for the end i don't think so i'm just um you know looking looking forward i'm now looking at and thinking deeply about um a longer project involving horses again but uh, and maybe putting together a book of some of those essays so that's on you're, my you're working perhaps on well you were going to write a novel that never happened that's just you're, a big fat lie yeah <laughs> but you but you're back to full circle huh <laughs> full circle yeah you, you might actually it's be only, putting out that book it's only taken 28 years but you know <laughs> you know <laughs> Better late than never. Yeah. So. Oh man, if Tyge was uh, was still with us, I would have recorded her. <laughs> Wouldn't that have been a hoot? Yeah, yeah. She was. I. There was a moment. Um, I remember realizing uh, that we lived in Marfa, where I looked around and I was like, "Wow, 
a lot of these people that live here now never knew Taiki, you know. For sure. Yeah, we have to explain to people now because enough time has passed that um, anyone knew. We have to say, well, so there was a woman okay. and... Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right, let's do some questions. Hit me. Okay. What This one's a holdover from my... I only do five now, but this one's a holdover from my uh, other set, but not the Texas one. Cilantro. And this is interesting that we just talked about Taiki. Cilantro, yes or no? <laughs> I'm yay on cilantro. I don't adore it like a lot of people do, but neither do I despise it as some people do because of that sudsy taste. But our friend Taigi, can you say the quote? Do you remember um, what she used to yeah, say? Yeah, I don't like cucumbers or cilantro, and I don't like anybody who does. And That's that it. Verbatim. Is that it? Yeah. <laughs> and she did. I mean, she. I would hear it with cilantro, and then she would add in cucumbers and cilantro. So I don't like anybody who does. And she was adamant. It was not. Yes. It was not a mild statement. No, no, it was. <laughs> it was an intense statement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's on her poster. We have it from a right. Didn't that make it onto her memorial poster? It probably did. Yeah. I think it is. I think it's on her poster. Yeah. When was the last time you went tubing? Oh, it has been too long, Jesse. Have, ta- have you taken Huck tubing? No, and it's just, it's one of my regrets as a parent. <laughs> it's Same. one of my failures. Same. Because like, the Rio Grande, you know, it's just, it's not like a, it's not the same. Mm-hmm. There are too many alligator gar in that river, yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yes, um, a girlfriend just talked about uh, having gone tubing with her visiting sister uh, down in Martindale, and uh, and I was like, why have I not done that? Why have, like... Yeah what's going on? And it led me down the road of thinking like, I've never taken Huck to, you know, like Groon Hall and you know, he's never been to the broken spoke. How could I have let that happen? Happen, right? How have these failures? Yeah. I think he's 20 years old. Like I've I've just, I've been so lacking in his education. I I can't, it's a, it's a deep regret. So that question came to me because uh, we did it this summer. We took our entire family tubing. We've been, you know, I hadn't been in 15 years probably, but Daniel had gone a couple times with like maybe Gray and Gray and Bixby, but like there was always, I was always pregnant. Uh, somebody needed a nap, you know, and now we're at that age. There were businesses. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're, we weren't near a river that you could go to. <laughs> yeah. It all came together in a purpose, perfect storm this summer and we did it. And I was like, oh. That's a, that's a good question. It's so restorative. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where did you go? Were you in San Marcos or? We were uh, in Canyon Lake. Oh, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was cold. The kids were like, <laughs> <laughs> Much colder so than the lake. Here. So worthwhile. So worthwhile. They, they loved it by the end. I lost a shoe. I was chasing the shoe. It was mm-hmm. all, the, all the parts of the experience were there. It was mm-hmm. wonderful. Do you know what H-E-B stands for? Herbert E. Butts. Yeah. Howard Edward, I think. Oh, okay. I with it. Yeah, but yeah, it's H-E- A lot of people are like, "Oh, it's a name," and I'm like, "Yeah, it's a name." Mm-hmm. They had no idea. And thank God for Mr. Butts. Yeah. I wish we had one out here. So. Nothing. Oh, nothing would have been a pantry, just a small one in Alpine. Just Remember a little. We used to say, just a... It's okay. We don't. It doesn't have to be all the way Marfa. We'll drive. We would drive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have neighbors two doors down that are the Butts, and I'm like, "How are you? Are you not related?" <laughs> apparently not but i'm like how how could you not be related with that name oh and then of course the slogan i would remind everyone they use is here everything's better and it's true it really is true (laughs) okay now this is like this is this is quite possibly my favorite texas edition question so i could save it for the last because as someone who as you know i'm non-native to the state Mm -hmm. and it's like i um you know, came from a different world, if you will. Like I'm an immigrant to, to this, to the state and I've mm-hmm. 20 years now. My, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's been 20 years um, coming up. I'll have to have like a little celebration on, uh, um, on Halloween, 2001, I left Massachusetts and I got here around November, took, took our time. We got here around November 5th or th- 3rd or something like that. Um, so this is one of those things that as an outsider, I was just like, I don't know how to do this. When you are at barbecue restaurant, <laughs> they give you a stack of bread. Do you eat the bread? How do you eat the bread? Well, of course you eat the bread. Okay. And you wrap the, uh-huh. you you take the brisket, which uh-huh. for God's sake you don't order lean brisket. You get the fat oh, brisket. For and God's so you, sake, yes. <laughs> you take a slice of brisket and you uh-huh. place it upon the Mrs. Baird's white bread, mm-hmm. and then you fold the bread, 
and you eat it like a taco mm-hmm. you fold yeah. the bread as a bread wonder bread taco okay. and you you eat it sometimes you could even you know if you feel kind of spicy that day you could even just let the brisket sit there for a moment and you could slice the sausage and you could mm-hmm. line half your bread with sausage then fold the bread and eat eat it with sausage and maybe a little jalapeno yeah sauce would you put sauce on it depends on the brisket right if the meat's good it don't need no sauce that's right yeah but if it's if, if it's you know the end of the day and it's a little bit dry or something then yes i will sauce but often i will not yeah mm-hmm. but yes to jalapenos yes to onions yes to pickles okay uh-huh i'm just i'm really thinking about barbecue as like the whole outsider experience of it and I would that was the one that always stuck out to me I was like what is this bread what are we doing with this I didn't understand like I was like you there's a ritual and it does Mm -hmm. need to be taught so I'm fascinated (laughs) it does just like same thing with tortillas by the way uh-huh. In Massachusetts, if you went to a Mexican restaurant, like they, they were not homemade tortillas for sure, and they didn't come in like you know how they like come in a bowl uh, next to your or, uh, mm-hmm. dish or whatever. I'd be like, what, yeah. what am I doing? Like those were just cultural traditions and, and within food that just like as an outsider, it was like, what am I doing? Somebody help mm-hmm. me. What is this for? Uh, we're gonna fill up on that. No, it's kidding. <laughs> right, but then you eat your first. You know, you go over to some viejitas house, mm-hmm. or you mm-hmm. know, you're maybe even in a restaurant, and someone hands you um, a, a homemade tortilla, tortilla with butter on it, and boy, that is home. That home. is the yes. taste of home. Mm-hmm. One hundred percent. So it'll bring tears to your eyes. Yeah. Oh, I miss it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Stupid. Of course, that, then that's my part of the story now is now I can't have the bread. Now I'm the woman who's like, no bread. I said no bread. <laughs> put the bread. Don't put the bread on the plate. No, no, no. My husband's going to eat the bread. That's fine. But don't put it on. And I'm like, you know, it's a disease. <laughs> it's not a choice. It's a disease. Anyway. Oh, I love it. Well, thank you so much, Terry, for your time and for letting me, um, you know, record you. And I love that um you i i know like when i reached out to you i was like she's gonna be hesitant this is gonna i knew it was gonna be like a a little bit of a a stretch for you like stretching outside of your zone well it is in that um you know i don't have a i don't have a much of a presence outside of my own circle of you know friends and family i don't have a website i don't have a yep you are a private person i and i appreciate you doing this for me well, I appreciate you asking me and knowing me well enough that this is going to be good for her. It'll be good for us. So, <laughs> so and I think I just want to sing your praises, too, um, in that I think that you've done such marvelous things. And I think that you are, um, through being vocal about the things that you're thinking about and have come to and and are coming upon you're really helping other women in particular to realize their own journeys and realize their own um, joys and sorrows and pathways are equally valid and and you've just done a magical job of of turning your interior thoughts and and uh, and progress um, into something that's so useful and valuable to everybody else thank you Thank you so much. Goodbye, Jesse. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, everyone, we'll meet here again next week. Everything up to this point has led me here, and there's nowhere I'd rather be than to be here. All the things that made no sense have felt so wrong and out of place now